Welcome to Crossview Radio, a weekly podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. Well, I'm uh, looking forward to today's podcast. Uh, As a church, we are going to be going through a book here in the next few weeks called Conscience, What It Is, How to Train It, and Loving Those Who Differ. And as we usually like to do, um, we like to get the author or authors on the podcast before we uh, start that book. And uh, in this case, there is um, J.D. Crowley and Dr. Andy Nacelli are the authors. And today, I'm excited to uh, let you know that we have J.D. on talking about the book with us. And so, J.D., welcome. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Good to have you. J.D. is a missionary to the tribal groups in Cambodia. And I really feel like as I read this book, and by the way, this book is, for me, was really hard to put down. It's just a a book that you almost want to read through in in one sitting because it just really, um, you know, is, uh, is, is captivating. But you have a unique perspective in writing this book because of your missions work. And I just maybe wanted you to start off telling a little bit about yourself and uh, the missions work that you do in Cambodia, and then maybe how that related to the writing of this book. Yeah, because it does relate to it. Um, I've been, uh, Kim and I, my wife, Kim uh, and I have been in Northeast Cambodia for 25 years, uh, working with unreached tribal groups there. Mm. Uh, And in fact, for most of my life, I've lived in uh, two cultures, Asian culture and and American culture. Mm -hmm. And uh, I noticed that each has its own set of mores and manners, even though at the core, uh, all cultures uh, have very similar uh, moral judgments about stealing and uh, murder and adultery and things like that. But on the edges, there are a lot of differences. And uh, once when I was back in the States on home assignment, uh, it seemed like my conscience was still condemning me for breaking certain Cambodian cultural rules, Mm. even though I was in America. uh, There's one rule that says, uh, don't ever step over someone's legs. And so, you know, I'm I'm at a uh, a church event or something in somebody's living room, and uh, I want to get out and get some more salsa, but somebody has their uh, legs on on the coffee table, and I just stand there waiting for him to move his legs, and he doesn't, because <laughs> I can't. My 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 conscience won't let me go. Sure, I walk over his legs anyway. I started uh, because of things like that. I started asking questions uh, like, why were my Cambodian rules still so strong in my conscience, sure. even though I wasn't in Cambodia for that period of time? Uh, why did my conscience even care about matters that I knew were not? really moral issues, right? Mm -hmm. Just cultural conventions. Mm -hmm. And then I started asking, what is conscience? Where does it come from? Should we listen to it? What does God tell us about it in the Bible? And I started going down this road uh, looking for answers. Uh, I was lecturing at a Christian university about some of the things that I had been learning about conscience when my friend Andrew Nacelli came up to me and said, let's collaborate on a book because he had been going down that same road. Uh, thinking a lot about it. And so uh, that's how this slender book came to be. Central to this conversation, as we're beginning um, this 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 uh, podcast here, is really defining the, the conscience. How, how do you, and I know you guys have a little section in the book on it, but how do you define what it is? It's kind of, in some ways, an ambiguous thing, it feels like, to to pin it down. But what would your definition be? 
Yeah, well, the, the humans are, are moral beings uh, who make moral judgments because uh, we're made in the image of God, and God makes moral judgments. He's a moral mm-hmm. being, right? So conscience is simply shining that moral light back onto ourselves. And in our book, we define it this way. It's, it's uh, our internal moral judgments about uh, what we understand is right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And we added that phrase, what we understand is right or wrong, because the Bible makes it clear that there's not a single human being that has a perfect conscience that is a conscience perfectly in line with, with God's uh, moral um, moral standards, uh, sure. except, of course, for the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, whose conscience was perfect. But uh, our consciences can be subject to influence that uh, that improve them. They, they can go in the direction of greater closeness to God's standards. But we can also break our conscience by mm. searing it, by not listening to it, by overpacking it with too many rules. So, And so the conscience can be informed correctly, it can be informed incorrectly, and you're suggesting in the book that we need to inform our conscience based on, on the Word of God, correct? Absolutely, yeah. sure. Now, as, as um, we go through the book, I'm I'm anticipating, uh, and I think you guys anticipated this response too. But I'm anticipating that there are going to be some people who look at this book, and almost a sense of dissatisfaction because, and, and I feel this pull in my heart too. Sometimes I just don't don't tell me how to think. Just tell me what to think. Sometimes, and and I think that we that just tell me what I have to do at the end of the day. And yet you don't set out to do that. Instead of telling us what to think about all these conscience issues, you're telling us how to think uh, through that. And I have one quote uh, from the the preface of the book where uh, you wrote, If you're hoping this book will directly address a particular conscience scruple with which you've been wrestling, you'll probably be disappointed. Our purpose is not to referee controversies. So then what is the purpose of the book, and, and why are you not setting out to be a referee in the area of the conscience? Well, we didn't want it to be a thousand-page uh, book, <laughs> for one thing. <laughs> uh, for another thing, actually, and this is encouraging, the consciences of Christians are remarkably, are remarkably similar, and that's in all over cultures, you know, all over the world. Our um, consciences are very similar in the core uh, moral standards. It's only at the edges that mm-hmm. there are differences, but you know how differences stand out more than things that are similar. Sure. So our purpose uh, was to help believers navigate those small differences at the edges without uh, either blowing them out of proportion, but also without underestimating them too, because if something is in your conscience, if you have a standard in your conscience and your conscience tells you not to do it, you've got to listen to it. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a big deal. So our purpose was to glorify God by helping Christians take care of their conscience, to, to start thinking about this gift, caring for this gift, uh, not abusing this gift mm-hmm. uh, uh, in any way. What uh, what do you hope, and, and I'm just going to contextualize this for a moment, you know, here we're doing this as a church specifically, I hope that uh, other people that listen to this may pick up a copy of the book, but what do you hope that we, uh, as a church or others listening to this, what do you hope that they walk away with uh, as they close the book up? 
uh, that conscience is a gift from God that okay. we need to take care of and think about. Uh, we, we hard, the fact is, we hardly ever think about our conscience, mm-hmm. and we need to think about it because I think a lot of uh, problems in churches uh, come about because uh, the members of the church aren't really thinking about their conscience, mm-hmm. or they're misusing it, trying to make their conscience be the uh, deciding factor in other people's lives. So I hope that uh, that we glorify God by honoring this gift. Sure. You uh, write, or, or one, one of the two of you have written in the book, um, uh, there's a misrepresentation or misperception that conscience-related controversies occur only in strict churches. Uh, in what ways do they show up in, in other churches uh, that, that maybe we would not anticipate? Yeah, this uh, that that um, this book is mostly for conservative churches is mm-hmm. probably the greatest misunderstanding of our book. It's uh, um, all churches actually are in danger of legalism because, uh, as I said, all Christians are incurably judgmental. Whether mm-hmm. those judgments are about, say, music or alcohol in a conservative church or mm-hmm. uh, in a less conservative church, whether you should buy fair trade products uh, mm-hmm. or or uh, have uh, be in favor of open national borders or something like that. Li- sure. Liberal churches, in fact, can be the most uh, insufferably stifling and judgmental places sure. uh, on, on the earth. So caring for conscience is a problem everybody has. That That's helpful to me in in the sense that all of us, we, we have our own bias, we have our own perception of the world, but I think a lot of times what's helpful to us is to simply know what our biases are. Um, and, and I think a lot of times both liberal and conservative churches don't see their bias, they don't see the, the conscience, they don't see that kind of judgmentalism that you're talking about and just assume that they're kind of in the, the neutral position. Um, you wrote, going on here a little bit, uh, a statement that was fascinating to me. Um, and the statement says, no one knows why the conscience feels so much like an independent third party. And I've kind of been just meditating on that statement a little bit and thinking through it. And I want to read to you two other quotes, one from John Calvin, one from Puritan Richard Sibbs, that I think kind of relates to this. Um, You can tell me how much it relates to it. But Calvin says this. uh, He says, I won't read the whole quote, but he says, the wicked shall have a bad conscience as an executioner. In fact, there's a number of times in Calvin's writings where he refers to the conscience as an executioner. Uh, He says a little bit more here, to torment them without end. Richard Sibbs writes this. He says, when conscience is under the guilt of sin then every judgment brings a report of God's anger to the soul. So the conscience is functioning as this, I don't know if we could say a mailman or something that's taking God's judgment to the soul. Um, can you expound on on this idea a little bit, the conscience as a third party? What kind of unanswered questions are there still with regard to this? Um, I kind of felt <laughs> a little hanging, no one knows why. And it's like, I wanted more, but obviously we can only go as far as scripture goes. So what, what else can we think about in that area? Yeah, it's, it's really quite strange, actually, that anybody would even care about what their own conscience decides right. about something that they've done. I mean, it's, uh, why does it seem like uh, an independent 
uh, third party, or, or as your excellent quotes there uh, talked about, an executioner. So uh, my opinion is that it's linked to two universal truths that Paul gives us in Romans 1 and Romans 2. In Romans 1, uh, he says every human being knows that there's a God and that he's uh, very, very powerful. Um, and in Romans 2, the second universal truth is that every human being knows that, uh, that, well, every human being has a conscience and knows in a general way what's right and wrong. Uh, and so I think that you put these two together and you have this sense that uh, there is, uh, that, that we, we know what's right and wrong, but it's not just that we know what's right and wrong, but we know that we're being looked at by this uh, powerful God who is not only uh, uh, omnipotent, but also everywhere at once and can see what we're doing and what we're thinking. So we have this sense that uh, conscience really matters. You wrote, you cannot, must not force others to adopt your conscience standards. MYOC, mind your own conscience. Uh, Again, I'm anticipating a response to this statement, and I'm anticipating that someone would say, um, are, are we always to mind our own consciences? If someone's conscience tells them that murder is right, uh, are we supposed to just ignore that, leave that alone? Can you expound on that statement a little bit? What are you What are you trying to say when you say mind your own conscience? Yeah, well, if someone's conscience, I mean, the fact that there are people who whose consciences are telling them things that are wrong mm-hmm. uh, is uh, one excellent reason that we can't use our conscience as uh, as the standard for other people, because mm-hmm. we may be wrong about something. We may have seared our conscience. We may have put things, uh, conscience rules into our conscience mm-hmm. that, that shouldn't be there, don't need to be there. Uh, so no one's conscience, as I said earlier, has ever reflected God's will perfectly, except Jesus's, of course. And so the only standard we have for moral teaching and exhortation is, is uh, God's word, uh, rightly okay. understood. So I, I can't take my own conscience and expect others to follow it, but I do expect others to uh, follow the moral teachings of the Word of God as uh, rightly understood. Sure. So you're saying in that statement, uh, get, just get the standard correct. What What's the standard? Is it is it my own conscience or is it the Word of God? And uh, if it's if it's if it's the Word of God, which it should be, then I can. Uh, follow scriptural imperatives to perhaps confront or exhort or whatever it might be when people violate that law instead of my own conscience. Right, absolutely. And because conscience can actually have rules in it that are that are not based on the Bible, like mm-hmm. uh, 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 Christians must not wear makeup, for example, was, sure. a, was a common uh, common rule back in the day uh, in some uh, holiness circles. Uh, because of that, um, uh, it's another reason that our conscience can't be the standard for other people mm-hmm. because uh, our conscience can uh, all of our consciences are mixtures of God's standards and other standards that are cultural or maybe uh, 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 familial um, from our growing up days. Uh, so we can't use our conscience to as the standard for other people. Yeah, that that is that's interesting. Uh, that just made me think of the fact that one of the areas in which this applies to us, particularly as a local church, is we live in a, a very large Amish and Mennonite culture. 
um, just just south of us is um, a population. I've, I've been told it's it's larger than um, the, uh, the the Amish population in Pennsylvania, um, in uh, in Holmes County here is where we're at, and I, I we see these things quite often. Uh, in fact, I've read some of the um, what they call an ordinance letter, uh, which each Amish community has. And the lists in those things are so detailed that it goes down to the number of, of inches that your the, the, the brim of your hat is allowed to be, the the number of buttons you're allowed to have on your shirt, and uh, the the type of buttons that you're whether it's a clasp type button or whatever the type of material that you're allowed to have, uh, it's it's actually pretty pretty significantly detailed. <laughs> list of of rules and regulations and I, I can't help but but think of that when when I think of this conscience issue how much these consciences are bound um, and and really I think given all these extra rules but then I, I always try to apply that to my own heart and life and think how many things am I not seeing personally where my conscience has been bound and then that's challenging as a pastor not to bind the consciences of others. Um, and I think through that a lot when I'm preaching is if I is what I'm saying strictly is this is this biblical is it a legitimate application of it or am I going to unnecessarily bind the consciences of uh, of of my people H- how do you maybe process that as a missionary when you're thinking through how you're going to disciple preach or whatever how do you think through is this going to bind their conscience or is this a genuine biblical application from this text. Yeah, a lot of missionaries, including uh, me, a lot of missionaries go, well, probably most missionaries go to the mission field without ever thinking about their own conscience Mm -hmm. and uh, what standards are in their conscience that probably should need, that that don't need to be there. Uh, And we end up then creating new categories for people in other countries creating sins that they didn't even know were sins and, right. in fact, are not sins. Uh, they're only uh, sins, new sins to them because we've told them about it. Hmm. And it, and because uh, they lack universal uh, universality, uh, when we talk about these sins that aren't actually sins but are more American conventions or something like sure. that, uh, it lacks the, that, that power when we talk about it with people in other cultures. Uh, we don't get that advantage of having their conscience say, yeah, what he's saying is true. I really am a sinner. Uh, what, for example, when we talk about uh, the importance of being on time in another culture, sure, uh, we don't get that self-authenticating uh, conscience say, yes, you really are a sinner. You're late all the time. <laughs> so. Uh, we need to be careful about that, yeah. Yeah, um, and that's one of the things as, um, you know, as I've done reading and uh, even in, in uh, college classes and things, the, the thing that we were always warned about in missions is to avoid exporting, if I could say it this way, the American Christian conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we need to be biblical, and, and I, we talk, I, I, I hear more of that conversation going on in missions context, I don't hear it as much in church planting or pastoral context in the states, but I think it's just as crucial in those contexts as well um, yep. to be yeah. to be mindful of what what is 
my my conscience saying? What is the Bible saying? And and with that being said, I may I just jump ahead here to the to the end of the book in the uh, appendix. I think it's B, where you um, had the overlapping triangles. That to me <laughs> that was worth the price of the book by itself. Uh, that helped me to think about it in a different way. And I think we're talking about number five here, which would be my scruple. So you have these overlapping triangles, and this is specifically in terms of of a missionary, but applies in in other contexts too. But you've got number one, this is a compartment where it's a sin to God, but not to me or the locals. Number two would be a sin to me and God, but not the locals. Number three is a sin to all. Number four is a sin to the locals and God, uh, but not me. Number five would be my scruple. Number six would be a shared scruple. Number seven would be a local scruple. And uh, it's hard. I'm, I'm just reading this here. So those who are listening, it's going to be a little hard to picture this. But um, if you get a copy of this book and look in the back, it's, it's very, um, very helpful. I thought through it. But I think we're talking about number five, my scruple, areas where I think it's a sin or my conscience is sensitive but other people uh, don't. And those are the areas where I need to be careful of not exporting that onto other people, whether in a missions context or, or here in the States as well. Yeah, that's a pretty complicated graphic, but uh, missionaries, uh, before they go out to the field, need to look at all those categories. Yeah. Because uh, as uh, we say over and over in the book, uh, your own conscience uh, is not a perfect reflection of God's standards. Mm-hmm. There are things that are there that shouldn't be there. There are things that are not there that ought to be there. Yeah. Uh, and so that uh, eventually brings a person to the place where they realize that, that uh, by, under the, uh, the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures, they need to start doing what the Apostle Paul did and start uh, adjusting and, and sure. training their conscience to be more uh, in keeping with God's standards. So why is it so important to train our conscience? Um why not if i if I look at my conscience and I say, "Oh, it's wrong in this area um, you know why why can't I just just disobey my conscience anytime that i I think that oh, it might be wrong or not calibrated correctly? Why is it so important to obey our conscience even if it may be calibrated incorrectly because uh scripture makes it very clear that uh, to disobey your conscience when you think it's it's uh, correctly warning you about something, mm-hmm. uh, is to sin always. A hundred percent of the time it's a sin, uh, because we think we're going against uh, uh, an actual uh, rule or law of God. Uh, so so we example, could say the, the intent is to sin? Is that... Did, yeah. The, the, even the though it may not be sin, sin, the intent is to sin when I'm going against my conscience. That's right. Going back to the uh, uh, woman wearing makeup, uh, you know, most of us believe that it's not a sin for a woman to wear makeup, but uh, for the person who thinks it's a sin and whose conscience warns the person that it's a sin, it's always a sin if the person uh, uh, goes against his conscience. And there's no exception to that rule. So that's why our book says that obeying your conscience is the second great principle of conscience in the mm-hmm. Bible. God didn't give it to us so that we would get in the habit of ignoring it when we sure. think it's warning us correctly. So how do we calibrate it then? Um, if we do determine this is not lining up with God's Word, how do we carefully 
calibrate that conscience to more accurately reflect Scripture. You you mentioned the key there, and that is uh, being convinced from Scripture hmm. that there may be an unnecessary rule in your conscience. Uh, and so you um, have the freedom to to say, to, in that case, to, to not listen to your conscience. You're not sinning against your conscience because uh, you're sinning against your conscience when you believe that it's warning you correctly, mm-hmm. but you tell it to shut up. But when you're convinced by Scripture and by the Holy Spirit and mm-hmm. under the direction of perhaps uh, um, those who have uh, spiritual uh, input and authority in your life, uh, you're convinced that, no, that, that's actually a man-made rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have the freedom to say no to your conscience uh, and, and tell your conscience, no, actually, uh, that should not be uh, a conscience restriction of mine. Now, you do that carefully, you do it uh, slowly, um, but you do it in a, in a way that's, in which you're convinced that this is, uh, this is what Scripture and the Lord want, want you to do. Now, if you don't do it, as you're saying, carefully, slowly, thoughtfully, um, you, you can damage your conscience in certain ways. How, how can we do that? How can we damage our consciences? Well, we're, there are a lot of different motivations for telling your conscience to be quiet when you think that it's actually correctly warning you about something. And one motivation is somebody makes fun of you for being too strict or something. Mm-hmm. Or you get into a situation where there are a lot of people who uh, who have to, uh, have freedom to do a particular thing, and you feel this sense of pressure, cultural pressure or something like that. Uh, and then you, you go ahead and violate your conscience even before you are convinced from Scripture uh, that it's okay to, to, make this, uh, to make this change. And that's where the danger lies. Because if you get in the habit of telling your conscience to be quiet, you're going to end up searing your conscience. Right. And this is, this is the great danger that Paul warns against uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 8 and also in Romans 14. Let's shift gears for a moment here. We're talking right now about calibrating my own conscience— but even in the title of your book, you have loving those who differ. Let's talk about relating to people who have uh, a different conscience than than I do. In general, how should someone? Uh, how should we relate to one another as believers when all of our conscience issues don't line up perfectly? Yeah, this is uh, this is the main subject of Romans fourteen and the beginning of Romans fifteen. Uh, in uh, there are a lot of principles there. We, we did, we've distilled uh, 12 principles from that passage mm-hmm. uh, in our book um, that will help people with a weak and doubting conscience uh, uh, get along with those with a, a strong and confident conscience on, on any given area where, where Christians can disagree. So let me give you four of those 12 principles real fast. First of all, the strong should accept and embrace the weak. Strong there in the context of Romans are the meat eaters. Uh, and the weak are, are people not who are weak Christians, but they're, they're weak in conscience concerning whether or not they can eat meat, because after all, mm-hmm. they, they, uh, they don't know if maybe they're Jews and they don't know if the meat was killed correctly according to Jewish laws, or uh, perhaps they don't know if the meat was previously sacrificed to an idol. Uh, mm-hmm. So they... They just decide they're just going to be vegetarians. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the, the, 
those with a strong conscience, they're always tempted to look down on uh, the weak and say, uh, oh my, you're being so legalistic, you know. And then the, 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 the weak are always tempted to judge the strong, you know, how could they eat meat and call themselves Christians, right? So we, instead, the principle is to accept one another in these areas about which uh, Scripture is not clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there's the principle of the stumbling block that I think most uh, of your church members are aware of, and that word is a strong word in Greek. It doesn't just mean to offend somebody or bother someone. Uh, it means to to actually lead them to sin against their conscience because of your influence. And by all means, don't do that. We must never compel someone to uh, to, to go against their conscience. Uh, then another uh, principle you find in Romans 14 is keep these matters to yourself. If your conscience allows you to eat meat, don't flaunt it. You know, sure. if you're if you're strict, if you're vegetarian, you're, you don't have enough uh, strength or faith or confidence in your conscience to eat meat. Don't be telling everyone about that either. So M Y O C, mind your own conscience mm-hmm. again. I had a uh, college professor who, um, in in that passage, identified. You know, certainly the weaker brother, the stronger brother, but then also identified uh, and, and, and called Paul the strongest brother, who um, said, I can eat, but I won't if it's going to uh, cause my brother to sin against their conscience. Um, explain a little bit, because when when I get in conversations about this, some sometimes um, I, I think we can we can become consumed with the fact that if I am trying to prevent my brother from stumbling, then I'm going to be controlled by the consciences of a hundred, two hundred, whatever. Every person I run into, I'm going to be controlled by their conscience. Is there a difference between giving up my freedom for the sake of a weaker brother and allowing others to control me through their conscience? Is there a difference in that? Yeah, uh, in fact, uh, Paul, the same Paul who in uh, Galatians uh, pronounced anathema on on people who wanted to uh, add rules to uh, to uh, the rule of circumcision to mm-hmm. uh, salvation, um, and the same Paul who said in Romans fourteen to uh, be willing to give up your your rights for the sake of others, also said in Colossians. Uh, don't let them, don't let people uh, control your life mm-hmm. when they want to force their uh, their scruples and restrictions on you. So there is a fine, there's a difference, but there's a fine line between the two. But the answer is really uh, motivation. Uh, what, is, what is your, your motivation uh, for giving up your, uh, your freedom for the sake of others? If if it's simply to fit in, that's not right. That's a that's sure. a man-centered motivation. If, uh, but for Paul, it was uh, it was twofold. His motivation was love for other believers, so that he didn't uh, cause them to stumble into sin by sinning against their conscience. And then it was love for the unbeliever, uh, where he said, "I'm I'm willing to uh, be flexible in every situation." Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can win uh, that particular people group or cultural group, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to be very flexible. Now he was never flexible in in, in relation to actual sin because that mm-hmm. would be wrong. Uh, but he concerning these uh, 
these matters at the edges of conscience. He became a very flexible person. He didn't start that way. When he got saved, he probably had hundreds of man-made rules uh, in his pharisaical heart. Uh, but somehow, after a few years, he was able to say those amazing words in First uh, Corinthians 9, where he says, to the Jew, I can live like a Jew, to win them. Notice the, the motivation, to win them. In fact, six times he says that, uh, to, to win them, to win them, to win mm-hmm. as many as possible to the gospel. He can be extremely flexible. Uh, he, with Gentiles, he can be like a Gentile. And this is not hypocritical. It's not two-faced. Uh, it's reflecting real Christian maturity and love. In mm-hmm. fact, that's what that's what Christian liberty is. It's not just, all right, I finally get to do stuff that my my church and my <laughs> my strict upbringing never let me do. Sure. It, it, Christian liberty is uh, to to as Paul said to be uh, it's the it's the self discipline to be flexible for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key there at the end, that, that for the sake of the gospel, um, just orienting our lives in such a way as the promotion of the gospel is is first and foremost. And if that means that I've got to limit my freedom in some way um, in, in one of these areas that we're talking about so that I'm not going to cause a stumbling block, not going to cause that uh, offense so that someone will come to Christ— um, I, I need to have the wisdom to do that, which which kind of comes to this, this one statement that you had in the book where you write, Christian liberty is the domain of the mature, not the immature. When the immature get a hold of it, they make a mess of it like some of the Corinthians did. And I think that's exactly uh, what, what we're talking about, going through this Christian freedom, um, understanding the conscience. We, we've got to be mature in that. So that we don't make a make a mess of it. Any comments on that statement there? Well, uh, you said it. It's uh, it's a gospel motivation uh, that we um, we really care for the souls uh, of others, mm-hmm. and we care for the Christian uh, the Christian souls of our fellow sure. believers. And so, uh, whether it's for the gospel or to keep uh, someone from from sinning against their conscience, we're very willing. We're happy. Uh, to give up our freedoms. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, the person with the freedom to do it actually has two choices. You can either do it or not do it, but someone with a very strict conscience in a given area has only one choice in that area, and that is not to do it. And so uh, God wants us to use mm-hmm. the great privileges of our freedom uh, to to serve other people, whether mm-hmm. people in the Church or unbelievers outside the Church. Yeah. Well, I I appreciate this conversation today. I'm I'm looking forward to going through this book. I think it's going to be uh, an encouragement to our church. Is there any last last things that you'd like to share, um, maybe about the book that we didn't touch on that that um, important to get across, or that maybe reflect your heart in in the book or or in missions uh, in general? Just the uh, uh, bringing up more clearly the single most important principle of conscience in the Bible, and that is that God is the Lord of your conscience. You're not the Lord of your conscience. Uh, uh, Other people, uh, sometimes we think that other people are the lords of our conscience. It's what you were referring to when you said, you know, am I going to become a slave to a hundred other people Mm -hmm. and their their scruples and whims? Uh, But God is the Lord of our conscience, and that's why uh, in that famous story in Acts 10, where Peter, whose <laughs> whose heart was filled with uh, with man-made rules, 
um, but who was also a very strong Christian, arguably the strongest Christian of that time. Uh, the Lord wanted him uh, to embrace Cornelius and the group of people that were coming from Cornelius to his house in Joppa. This is in Acts chapter 10. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't ready for it yet. His conscience would have uh, would have been very upset about even inviting Gentiles into his house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so God had to uh, give him that amazing uh, uh, vision of the, of the uh, sheet coming down with uh, unclean animals on it and the Lord's voice uh, said to him, kill and eat. And he said, no, I, I, I've never uh, eaten anything unclean. And so here was God, who is the Lord of Peter's conscience, mm-hmm. basically saying to him, you need to adjust your conscience and you need to do it pretty quickly. Now, you and I don't have the right to do that. We can't go to someone and say, adjust your conscience and do it now. Right. <laughs> but God is the Lord of conscience. Uh, he knew that Peter was a mature believer uh, obedient to the Lord. And within a few minutes after that vision, he was downstairs uh, greeting, welcoming sure. uh, some Gentiles into his home. It's, it's a remarkable thing mm-hmm. that he was able to adjust his conscience for the sake of the gospel mm-hmm. once again. And that's our motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Glorifying God in all things. Um, that's that's encouragement. And that's that's what we want to continue to do as as a church, as believers in Christ, is to orient ourselves in relationship to God, uh, not to orient ourselves in, in relationship to our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own perceptives, but to orient ourselves in relation to God, to glorify Him, exalt Him. Uh, as Isaiah 2.11 says, God is at work exalting Himself and humbling uh, man. And so I appreciate that emphasis. And appreciate you uh, coming on today. This has been a good conversation, and uh, thank you so much, J.D., Thank you, John. It's been great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. at the Orville YMCA. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossview.org.